right. Good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday morning. Thanks for picking this radio show. Can't pick it much longer, but uh, you got a hold of it today, so congratulations. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. Also serve as the Director of uh, Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I am currently the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church, where you're welcome to join us. If you don't have a church home, uh, you have to have a note from your pastor if you have a church home and you come and visit, and I will be checking notes. But if you don't, come and see us 1030 Sunday morning. I'll be preaching from the book of Ephesians starting in chapter three, so you'd be welcome to be part of that. Also in the studio today is Corey Truax. Good morning, everybody. Host of the Corey Truax Show, by the way. Uh, for the final time, Saturday on WHRT, but for some yep. time yep. to come, anywhere you find podcasts. Are you doing yeah. a series in Ephesians, or are you just randomly in No, Ephesians? no, no, I'm, I'm preaching through, through the book. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, checking those t- uh, pastor's notes, very important. Right, we don't. Yes. we don't do the sheep we stealing. We do not. We're <laughs> we are not sheep stealers. We are looking for those who may be wandering. And yeah. if you wander into Five Forks Baptist Church on Sunday morning at ten thirty, you will worship in spirit and truth, and you will hear the word of God preached. So that'd be a good thing for you. Wandering seems to be a cultural theme. <laughs> Just folks wandering around with no idea what to do, who they are, or why they should do any given thing. Yeah, you know, uh, it gets harder and harder. I, I, there's kind of a um, you know paradox. It, it, it gets harder to do the show, and now I'm not going to be able to do the show anymore. But I am going to keep going, um, as I've been telling you. Uh, come midnight on Friday, uh, if you tune in at 12.01, uh, you'll be listening to music here on 91.9 and 89.7. Uh, Friday morning will be our, our sign-off show. Tomorrow, Hannah's going to be here. And on Friday, it'll be Lisa Van Riper and um, uh, Senator Josh Kimbrell that'll be in the studio with me. Uh, Josh will be here for at least a little while. But after that, on Friday, to find me, you have to go to drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. Now, the Listen Live uh, button, or whatever you want to call it, tab thing, is up on the website already. So all you have to do is go to the website Monday morning. At 7:30, we're going to do the show from 7:30 to 8:30. We're cutting back for an hour on an, to just an hour so that it fits within the podcast uh, program better. I, I'm not going to. There's no way I'm going to have time to do the show and then do a podcast and then the whole thing. So um, I, you will be able to to listen from 7:30 to 8:30. You'll also be able to see it on YouTube. And Facebook. Now, it's going to throw it up there both places at the same time is what I'm told. Yes. So um, I'm set up to do all that, and we'll see what happens when I hit the button on Monday. Uh, Who knows? I mean, this has been a long learning curve for me, but I'm halfway there anyway. How long before we start seeing Dr. Tony Beam on the Ticker Talkers and the Snapper Chatters? (laughs) I have no idea what either one of those are. So so that probably, (laughs) since that's the case, a long time. We were with, with a consultant yesterday for North Greenville University, and he's a marketing and enrollment guy. Says so you guys aren't on TikTok. It's where it's where all the eyeballs are. You got to be on TikTok. And then I see the Daily Wire just spent a gajillion dollars on TikTok content because yeah. it is apparently where everyone is. I'm officially that age. I'll be 37 in two days. Yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. 
I'm not doing new things. I'm finished with new things, right? We had Facebook, we had Instagram, we had Twitter. I'm stopping there. Because we had YouTube, I could, I could do some YouTube. But whatever new apps come from here, I'm not doing them. Well, I'm not doing TikTok because I'm not going to give the Chinese money. Yeah. I mean, I don't care what the guy says. I don't care. Look, any company in China is being overseen by the Chinese government. That's right. And if you think they're not using TikTok to compile information on you, and you may not care. And that's fine. If you don't care that the Chicoms are, are building a database on Americans, then there's nothing really that I can do about it, except I'm not going to let them have mine. Um, yeah. Now, they, you may say, well, they're going to get it anyway. They're going to get it. Some, well, that's fine, but I'm going to hand it over to them and say, here, you know, please take this. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm going to at least make them hack Amazon first. Yes, <laughs> yes. You have to work to get my information. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yesterday I flew to Atlanta. Yeah, I had a, a crazy day yesterday. I mean, I, I was thinking about just doing nothing today um, and because I, I've, I, after the show yesterday morning, I went straight to the airport, got on a plane, flew to Atlanta, and was on a panel. I was a part of a panel discussion about how to affect the legislature in your state. It was in front of a bunch of ethics leaders from around the country. And actually, the new executive director treasurer of the South Carolina Baptist Convention, Dr. Tony Wolf, was there. Mm-hmm. So I had an opportunity to meet him. And it was kind of nerve-wracking because the first time he's going to see me in action, I'm going to be up there doing this panel discussion thing. But I got to tell you, when it, you know my flight left so that I could get back to Greenville by 4.30 because I had to be in Gaffney last night to speak to a men's group. And so, um, you know, all that was fine, except... You know, I thought I had the hotel was actually connected to the airport. I mean, this is the thing where you get on the SkyTrain yep. and it takes you like to the Marriott, to Spring, whatever that is, Spring yeah. something, Big Suites. Valley. Yeah. So um, they, they were at the Marriott. So I found my way. They told me in a text, just follow the signs to domestic baggage. And then when you get there, you'll find a sign that says SkyTrain. Get off on the first stop. I said, well, I can do that. So sure enough, but it took me longer to get from the gate, which was B, and all of this is happening over past T-gate on the other side of the airport. It took me longer to get from there to the hotel than it did to get from Greenville to Atlanta. To Atlanta. I, man. <laughs> I mean, that was just, that was the craziest thing. Yeah. So anyway, I did my thing and it went well, it really did. I was, I'm, I'm rarely satisfied with anything that I do like that because I'm, I'm a pretty big self-critic, but uh, I th- it, it actually went pretty well. So I'm going back, you know, I'm looking at my watch, flight takes off at 3.05 or boards at 3.05. So about 1.30, I had because I'm thinking it's the airport, right? Got to walk back over there, and some for some reason in my adult brain, I was thinking I haven't left the airport officially because I've been connected to all these things, so I'm not going to have to go back through security. Mm-hmm. No, because I left the airport, yeah. so I get back and I'm walking up there and I'm going, okay, I don't even know where to go to get to security. So I, there's a TSA person, a, a very nice lady, standing at the end of where there was almost nobody going through the line. And I said, can you tell me where I need to go to go through security? I, I'm, I don't do this every day. And she said, let me see your boarding pass. So I held it up, and she said, hmm, you need to come right here. You're going to be first class today. Aww. So she put me in the first class security line. I had eight, I counted them, 
eight people in front of me. And then the line started backing up behind me. It took about seven, eight minutes per person to get through. I stood there for a little over 30 minutes before I ever got up to give the guy my driver's license. Because I'm standing there and thinking, man, I'm going to be in good shape. I'm going to go sit down over here. I'm going to. And when I went through security, I I told them, I said, my knees are going to set the thing off. I've got, you know, titanium steel knees. And so I walked through, and of course, the belt. When you set off security at the airport, everybody knows. So, you know, I've got all the eyeballs on me. And then she says, you're going to have to go back through. I go back through, and she says, I need a male. I need a male TSA agent over here. And so she made me stand over here. So this guy comes over. And he he says, okay, you're going to have to do a – will you consent to a full body scan? I said, sure, because yeah. you do that at Greenville anyway. Yeah, it's normal. And you just walk through there. That's yeah. why they, everybody goes through zipping yeah. through there. So he opened up the gate and took me into the body scanner, and then and something was showing up in the region between my belt and my knees. Let's just put it that way for Christian worldview purposes. Hmm. So – I'm 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 walking out there and he's showing me this like this red, you know, and he's saying, "What have you got?" And I, I said, I, "I have nothing. I'm I'm I don't have my belt. I don't have my shoes." And he said, "Well, I'm gonna have to do a I'm gonna have to do a hand search and and a, a pat down. Do you want a private room?" And I'm thinking to myself, "A man is going <laughs> to put his hands on me, and he's asking me if I want a private room." Oh my gosh! And I said. No, I think yeah. we'll just stay right yeah. here. Oh my god! So, so every every move he's making, right? He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch you here, and I'm gonna use my the back of my hand. And I said, okay, okay, you know. So he's doing what he's got to do, and he says, now I need you. You're gonna have to spread your legs, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use what? the back of my hand, and I'm I'm gonna you know. And he's telling me all this stuff. So I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, you know, I really should have gotten a private room, <laughs> but. I got through, and it, then well, okay. there was nothing there. There was nothing, of course. Um, well, I mean, yes, there was nothing there. So anyway, then then he says to me, "Hold out your palms," and so I, I put I put my hands out, and he rubs this uh, paper yeah. over my palms and puts it in a machine. And I said, "What is that?" He said, "Well, we're checking for gunpowder or explosive residue." on your hands. And I'm thinking, you know, do I have terrorists tattooed on my forehead? Did somebody hang a sign on my back when I wasn't looking? But I mean, I, I went through the whole thing and then, you know, finally I said, okay, you're clear. (laughs) It's like, now go get the rest of your clothes and, and uh, see you. Have a nice day. God bless the people at TSA, but come on. Well, I was pretty confident that there's the plane might crash for other reasons, but I didn't think it was going to blow up. Because, I mean, I, I, you know, if they paid that much attention to me, hopefully they were paying that much attention to others. You remember traveling before 9-11? I don't. I mean, I, 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 mean, I really, I, I do, I guess. You know, you, you, you went to the gate. I mean, you went, you had yes. your, um, your ticket, and you, you checked your bags, and you went to the gate. If you had a carry-on, you just went to the gate. Yes. And you sat there well, and waited to get on the plane. If you were... Call. I was born on the Ivory Coast. My parents were missionaries, and so my younger years were trans were going across the Atlantic with some regularity. Was on a lot of planes, so I remember really vividly grandparents and family coming all the way to the gate. There wasn't spy at TSA, right? right. And the I, mean, I remember smoking on planes. 
that there were yeah. smoking sections and non-smoking sections on planes. I'll admit, I guess we need some security. The, the plane experience was better. Everything else in life has gotten better except one thing, the plane yeah. experience. Yeah, I don't. Uh, flying is not my favorite thing. I'll just be honest. I, I'm not crazy about it. And I'm doing that on Friday. My wife's best friend's wedding is my wife's, my wife's best friend is getting married Saturday. And so we're flying up on Friday, going to do the whole wedding thing Friday and Saturday, and then three or four days in New York City. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a blast. But that is a six in the morning GSP to Newark, New Jersey flight. And I used to look forward to it, but now, yeah, not anymore. Well, we're flying to California in a couple of weeks. And so, the grandkids. Yes. And, you know, now flying all the way across country, that, that's going to be, that's, yeah. yeah. But yesterday was the first time, I'm 65 years old, and yesterday was the first time that I've ever gotten on a plane in the morning gone somewhere, spoken, and gotten on a plane and come back. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that's, you know, people do that all the time. Yes, people of, and, of, high, uh, of high profile. That, right, that's a high right. profile move to make. Yes. I was, I was like, wow. Get on this the is, you know, plane, go speak, and get out of there. You know, and I had my jacket on and my shirt and my slacks, no tie, and I'm just walking with my little computer bag. And I'm looking around. I'm thinking, man, I look like all these people. Look at me. Yeah. I, I look like I'm, I'm, I, I'm one of these guys. I look first class today. It's, yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, kind of having a farewell tour, I guess, this week with uh, yes. folks who have been uh, guest uh, host and on the show with me and all that. So thank you for all that. I mean, you've many times you've made it possible for me to go do things that – I was supposed to do when I had to do this. So yeah. grateful always it. for those opportunities. It's been a good symbiotic broadcasting relationship for yeah. 15 years. Yeah, yeah, 15 of the 21 years yeah. that I've been doing this. You've been um, a big part of it. I've, so I've often been uh, sixth man of the year, ready to come off the bench <laughs> at a moment's notice. Well, you know, we've had we've had so many people. It's just too, it's too bad Marcus the Buckley can't be here. He's, oh, I forgot about Marcus yeah, Buckley. He's up in Is um, he Florida now? No. He took a job uh somewhere up Boston. Wow. So he's okay. in Boston. He's up there. So um working at a college. I actually wrote a had to let her write a letter of recommendation for him. I mean, I had to lie like a person <laughs> And I mean it was just terrible. But he's a friend and I thought you know, I'm not going to tell him that he rode around in a gorilla suit. Actually, I did tell him that. I told him, I said, now, you you need to understand you're talking about a guy because he's working. He's at a college and he's working with uh, students. I said, you're talking about a guy that drives like a muscle car and shows up in a Darth Vader suit. And I said, I'm not talking about something you go to Walmart and buy off the shelf. The real deal. Yeah, I'm talking about no telling what this thing cost to where he comes in and it's... You know, I mean, it's, he's got the whole thing going. And so they were, they really enjoyed that. Cause F- it, funny reminiscent story about uh, about us um, going way back because of your letter of recommendation uh, item. I was about to go to law school back in 2008. I thought I was going to do it. And I got letters of recommendation from you and one Lisa Van Riper. And as I read them, I went, they're talking about me? You ever read a letter <laughs> Ever read a letter yes. letter yeah. about yourself? Yeah. Like, well, that was nice, nicely flattering. Well, thanks, guys. This 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 guy really needs to get the job. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Whoever he is. No. Well, yeah. It's it was pleasure. Always been a pleasure to do that. Um. All right. Um. Covenant School. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yesterday we we didn't talk about it. I I didn't want to talk about the stuff. I didn't want to talk about the politics. 
And today, I want to talk about the people, um, because Christian Post actually has put out a story today that has information about the people who died. And I just think, and it, it's short, you know, it's not like their life history, but it's a little anecdote about them and their association with the school. And I think that's important, because we do need to remember that six people died in this hate crime attack, which is what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, we're, and, and, but before I get into that, I, I am going to say that that we are approaching, if we have not crossed the Rubicon, uh, the point of no return. I mean, I, I want to be more optimistic about our world, about our culture, about our country. But when when something like this happens and the media is doing turning itself into pretzels to hide the fact that this was a trend. So they, they got a problem. If they don't say that she was transgender, then they're dissing the transgender community. If they do say she she was transgender, then they're calling into question the transgender community for violence. Right. And you can't be a victim and then make other people a victim. If you're a victim, then there has to be a justification for whatever action that you've taken, even if that means saying that because of Christianity's teaching about sexuality and because of Tennessee's gun laws and because they passed a law banning transgender surgery, and tra and this is what they're calling it, by the way, health care for transgender minors mm -hmm. is what they're calling it. Uh, what it is is body mutilation mm -hmm. for transgender, for, for minors. Um, so... But but they, but they have to, of course, couch this in the proper terminology so that your sympathies are directed in the direction that they want them to go. So they, they it's just been interesting to watch the media trip all over itself about this. They first reported that it was a woman. Then they came back and said it was transgender. Now you can't find anything about transgender. It's it's all, And you can't find anything about it being a targeted attack, which is what the police call it. Yeah. See, when someone targets another group, then there's a motivation that is associated with a hate crime. But nobody's calling this a hate crime, which is what it was. It was a hate crime against Christians. And the manifesto, if this had been any other situation, the LGBTQ community is pressuring authorities. And right now they're caving in to not release the writings in the manifesto of the shooter. Yes. And because they don't want you to know that she was out to get people because of their beliefs. I mean, we don't know what's in the manifesto. I mean, I'm, I'm, let me hasten to say that. But the only reason that they would not release it is because it's going to make a certain group look bad. And the only time that matters if the group that it's going to make look bad is the LGBTQ or a minority community. I'm confident that even if the police were to release that manifesto, the legacy media, corporate media, wouldn't push it. Likely they not. They wouldn't talk about it right. because for them, there are no facts. There are only narratives. That's right. There are stories to tell. And we know the good – in their story, we know who the bad guys are. White, made up – I'm going to make use their made-up term, cis. White, cis, hom uh, heterosexual, Christian people. Th those are the enemies. We know that's true. Th that Let's put that flag in the ground. Now – now that we know that's true, everyone who opposes them or is not like them is the good guy. And so if any facts come in that don't match those flags in the ground, we're we not talking them. about those. Yeah, we toss them. The Reuters tweet about this even said, 
former Christian school student attacks Christian school. Right. Is that what happened, Reuters? Is that your headline? That's, that that's what she was. She's a former Christian school student. Is it, is it false? No. Is it misleading? Yeah. Of course. Because the fact pattern didn't match your narrative. There are no facts. There are just narratives. Yeah, great. That's a great point. Now, they do have a problem because the first person that was killed was an African-American male. I didn't know this. So Yes. So now what, 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 what are you going to do? You have two because victim classes. What do you do? You, you've got one victim class killing another member of a victim class while they're killing the bad guys. There was a good guy in there. So how do you, how do, how do you fix this? And the guy was a Christian. I mean, working at a Christian school. But his name was Mike Hill. He was 61 years old. And Tim Dunavant, who's a pastor at Hartsville First United Methodist Church in Tennessee, said Hill was the last employee he hired when he ran the kitchen at the Covenant School and speculated that he likely died being a hero. Now, that's speculation. We don't know. We don't have any information to back that up. He says, I don't want to say a name until it had been announced officially, and now I'm not real sure what to say. He said in a statement on Facebook on Monday, he was the last employee that I hired when I ran the kitchen at Covenant. That was over 13 years ago. He was still working there today when he was shot and killed. I don't know the details, but I have a feeling when it all comes out, Mike sacrificed himself for lives. I have nothing factual to base that on. I just know what kind of guy he was, and I know he's the kind of guy that would do that. Um, and then he put, goodbye, Mike, I'm going to miss those encouraging texts out of you uh, that would come to me out of the blue. Um, a GoFundMe campaign has raised $55,000 for uh, the parents uh, of the children that, that were killed and for the uh, victims' families. Um, so anyway, Mike Hill, uh, he was 61 years old, and he worked in the kitchen. All right, let's go to, um, like I say, I want to get just real quickly go through this. A uh, parent at the Covenant School remembered Catherine Kuntz, the school's head, um, as a saint. She did so much for those kids, a mother who had two children enrolled at the Covenant School said, and now gave her life protecting them. She knew every single student by name. She did everything to help them when families couldn't afford things. It didn't matter. She found ways for them to stay. Diane Kuntz, um, well, or, excuse me, I'm sorry, that's not her first name. Uh, Catherine, Catherine Kuntz, uh, was dependable and had a big heart. You could always count on her to show up with a giant heart and her brilliant mind. There's no doubt in my mind that she died while giving herself wholeheartedly to these children and coworkers she loves so much. Now, again, we don't, we don't know any of that. It could just be she walked out of her office. It appears that she was shot as she stepped out of her office, probably in response to hearing... Uh, the gunshots. Yeah. So, uh, but she was uh, also in her 60s, and she, well, actually, she just turned 60 years old. And by the way, the children that were shot were among all of the children that were in chapel uh, just shortly before the shooter showed up, and they were learning all of the verses to Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. That's what they were doing because they were going to sing it for their parents. Uh, coming up in a few weeks. So they were in there uh, singing and learning the words to that. Okay, um, uh, my wife uh, correcting me, as she should, trying to keep her husband husband from looking more foolish than normal. Uh, Marcus Buckley is in New York. He's at Cornell University. Wow. So I, I think that is New York. I've looked it up. Yes, it, it is, is in New Ithaca, New York. 
So we'll, he is not in Boston. He is in New York. So if you're looking for him, if you're going to New York and you want to try to find Marcus, that's where he is. <laughs> so you're going up there. I am so you, two, you two days get, from now. Yeah. yeah, You might want to try to find him. Um, okay, we're going through some of the victims here um, of the Covenant School shooting. Haley Scruggs was the daughter of Chad Scruggs, who's the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. Um, and b- by the way, while, while the thought is striking me, yesterday Ben Shapiro was going on and on about one of the doors being unlocked. The, the door was not unlocked. She shot out the glass Correct. of the door that right. was locked, and that's how she gained entry, just so uh, in, in case people listen to him. Uh, Park City's Presbyterian Church said in a statement that Chad Scruggs served for several years at their church as an associate, associate pastor, and they are mourning with the family. We love the Scruggs family and mourn with them over their precious daughter, Hallie. She was nine years old. Uh, together we trust in the power of Christ to draw near and give us the comfort and hope we desperately need. Now, something that I want you to compare as you're thinking about this from a worldview perspective is the response of the Christians that are rallying around the school and the people and the families, the th- kind of things that they are saying compared to the things that you're hearing from, as you say, the legacy media, the mainstream media, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, you, what you hear are words of hope, words of comfort, words of encouragement, sadness, you know, just, yes, of course. But for Christians, because of what we believe, we have a hope that transcends tragedy. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the focus to help people get through the tragedy, tragedy is not trying to find somebody to blame or to uh, vilify or to create a narrative that will somehow promote an agenda. The, the first thing is to talk about the truth, about God, about how God loves us and how God provides for us and how God in an unthinkable situation provides hope and comfort to people who are involved in the issue. Yeah, there is, uh, we are not those who mourn without hope. That's right, Thessalonians. And there is a, there's an, almost an opportunity, especially this time of time of year. We are in resurrection season. We're headed towards Easter. Right. There's a hope that this time of year has earned for us a reconciliation, reunification with those that we lose. Uh, so we express sadness, but we also express hope. Because death has been defeated. I mean, death is not the master over any person who is alive in Jesus Christ. Uh, we can have eternal life or we can have eternal death separated from God. And those of us who have accepted Christ as Savior, it's not some kind of, of crutch or some kind of uh, way to get through life without facing reality. Christians face reality, but they face reality with hope in the future because our future extends past the grave. Yes. And I think that's incredibly important. One of the better written lines in modern Christian music the last 10 years is, in Christ be magnified, we're in that bridge. Uh, There's the line, death is just the doorway into resurrection life. Right. And while we do mourn death, it's not natural. We weren't made for death. We weren't, things weren't meant to die here. That's right. In in a pre-sin world. But then now, physical death is doorway to resurrection life, a better life, better body. You know what we don't have in the new uh, in the new body? Your knees aren't fake anymore, brother. 
Yeah, they don't hurt right. anymore. Yeah, they'll right? be they'll they'll work just fine. This this morning, one of my I started walking across the floor, and my ankle started popping. Is that they're not going to do that anymore, right? right? The the goodbyes, the sadness. Uh, it's, it's in Lord of the Rings, the third book, uh, where Pippin thinks Gandalf has died, but Gandalf makes a almost miraculous recovery, and Pippin says to him, Gandalf. Do all sad things become untrue? And that the answer for the Christian is yes. That's right. All sad things become untrue. Why? Resurrection earned that. Right. We all get it. Well, and that's uh, that's that's the thing that Christians celebrate more than anything else. Obviously, is the resurrection, Christ's victory over death. You know, death became necessary because of sin, and that's why in the Garden of Eden there was the tree of life, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when sin entered the world, the tree of life then was protected by an angelic being to keep Adam and Eve from partaking of the tree of life Mm -hmm. because death became necessary because of sin. And so they had to, if they couldn't die, they couldn't know eternal life because there had to be redemption. You don't want to, you don't uh, living forever in sin. That's miserable. Yeah. But death ends, death is the defeat of sin. I I can't imagine anybody today that would want to live in this life forever. Um, I I think about the, uh, the green mile. I mean, you know, Tom Hanks at the end of that movie, it's just a brilliant portrayal because he's watching people that he loves die Mm -hmm. and he's a hundred and whatever years old and, you know, one, one of the characters, one of the uh, someone that he's with in the nursing home that he's, you, you know, she says, he infected you with life. And he says, well, I guess that's as good a definition as any. Mm. Life becomes an infection if it's life in a state where sin reigns. Yes. It becomes a celebration if it's in a place where God reigns. It's a good way to put it. All right. Uh, Cynthia Peak was a beloved substitute teacher. She was 61 years old. Uh, she leaves behind a grieving widower and a daughter and two sons. Peak's father had been a local doctor in Leesville, where he owned a physician's clinic, a 1979 graduate of, of Captain Shreve High School. She went to college and later graduated from TCU in 1983. Her, fi- her family resided in Alabama before recently moving back to Tennessee. Cynthia Peak. Um, one of the other victims was Evelyn uh, Dikas. Uh, at the vigil at Woodmont Christian Church Monday evening, uh, Senior Minister Clay uh, Stoffer tearfully revealed that Evelyn was in the third grade at the Covenant School while her sister was in the fifth grade. Uh, He said Evelyn's sister was a member of the disciples class at the church and was getting ready to be baptized in two weeks. The fifth grader cried at the vigil and said, I don't want to be an only child. This is the kind Mm. of thing. Evelyn was nine years old. Um, Another uh, person that we would talk about as in relation to this, of course, is Audrey Hale, who was the perpetrator, the shooter. The trans-identified shooter uh, worked as an illustrator and graphic designer, creating logos for businesses. Uh, I primarily work with clients that desire brand personality. I provide illustrations and designs that will help tell a company's story. And then she goes on to talk about um, how she achieves all of that. So we just, I do this because I think it's very important for us to remember that when we're talking about an event like this, 
there are people. This is not a video game. Yeah. This is not something where imaginary images appear and then are dispatched and you get up and go make a ham sandwich. This is these are lives of people who had lives who were living those lives in the way that they believed that God was leading them, other except for um, the shooter. And, you know, we, we need to remember them and to mourn with them as we push back against, as Corey so eloquently put, the narrative, which is, is nothing but the telling of a story, not the revealing of facts. Yeah. And he's right in saying that that's what the legacy media does. Yeah, the in encap, encapsulation in flesh of what can just be pixelated stories is, re, is really important. Because immediately on your social media feed and on your on your phone, there's just folks telling you stories. It's important to stop and remember. There's a gr- they're grieving husbands, they're grieving wives. Right. They're gr- right. I mean, I, I can't imagine losing my four year old, five year old, six year old child. I'm, and I, when I say I can't imagine, I mean that I tried. I can't get myself to to, to feel or think what that would be like. And to know and, and to know that it was violent and scary. So before running off to make whatever points people want to make when bad things happen, I appreciate taking the time just to recognize these are humans. They are. They're people with uh, families, and we absolutely need to remember that as we think about them. Okay, the title of this piece from Daily Signal is it's Star Parker, and she's writing about the Wall Street Journal um, survey that went out that is measuring people's attitudes as Americans post-pandemic. And I'm not going to get into the Wall Street piece because it's huge, and I've read it, but it's this. these are the highlights. And the, the title of Star Parker's piece is A Nation Committing Suicide. Yes. And that's, that is what I want you to take away from this. Um, I'm I'm a hopeful person, and again, my if my hope was rooted solely in the the here and now, I would be in most uh, most in despair. But uh, my hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So I'm 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 not in despair over this, but I want you to understand something: we will not survive this if this trend is not reversed. We're we're done. I mean, as a country, you cannot survive without a sense of yourself. And the things that have made community possible, the things that have made commonality possible, the things that have bound us together in America for our entire existence are disappearing. And once they're gone, and I mean, we're getting close to the point because we're under 50% in all of these statistics that I'm going to give you, the only thing that everybody has in common is we all want to make money. And that once that becomes the goal of life, we have no life. We have no hope left in as far as our society. So here's some of the highlights. Only 38% of Americans now say patriotism is very com- important compared to 70% in 1998. Now, that was um, and actually... In 2019, patriotism still was far above 50% people saying that it was important. But in this poll, uh, we're down to 38%. 39% say religion is very important. That's compared to 62% in 
1998, and 30% say having children is very important. That's compared to 59% in 1998. Now, those three th- just take those three things. If we're not patriot, if, if we don't believe in the goodness of America as a country, we will not defend it. If you want to know why the Ukraine has not been taken over by Russia, yes, of course. A lot of it has to do with the weaponry and the equipment provided to the Ukrainians. But how much weaponry and equipment have we provided other cultures around the world that have disappeared? I mean, look at Afghanistan. You know, there, if, if weaponry and know, knowing how to use it would have saved Afghanistan, they would have been saved. If weaponry and knowing how to use it would have kept the Iranian, the uh, not the Iranian, the Iraqis from uh, basically degenerating into the chaos that Iraq is today, then it would have saved them. Here, you you have all the weaponry, but what made Ukraine unique is that the Ukrainian people have a deep sense of themselves. Yeah. As Ukrainians, they are patriots. They didn't give a second thought to stepping up and sacrificing their lives. For what? Not just for their families, not just for their homes, for the sake of being Ukrainian, for the sake of of retaining their identity that is closely associated with their country. And you got 38% of Americans who now think patriotism is important. Uh, you You let China come, they can just waltz in. People will say, yeah, come on in. Maybe your way is better. We've already got people saying that. So why would we not? Who in the world would face down the guns of a Chinese army if we already think that maybe their way is better? On all three of those, here's the theme I find. So I reject patriotism. I don't belong to a nation. I reject religion. I don't belong to a church. Right. I reject children. I don't belong to a family. I am me and me alone. My country, my religion, my family, they might suggest that I might need to be different in some way. They might suggest to me a duty or something I'm supposed to do, and nothing can tell me what I'm supposed to do. Right. It's our rugged individualism, the good thing that came from the Enlightenment in the American, the American West, that ethos and ethic, has gone to an exaggerated insanity where nothing can call upon me. Right. I'll divorce my spouse if, if, if it makes me not feel like me. I'll leave my kids if, they make me, if, if it makes me not feel like me. If my religion tells me to tamp down on any of my desires, I will, re- I will reject that religion because my desires are me, what I want. It's me at my core. If my country wants anything from me, right. I will tell you no. Well, and here's, here's what's going to happen just by the numbers, okay, um, in, in America. If, if we don't think children are important, it takes 2.2 children yes. per um, household. Or, or We've got to have a replacement rate of 2.2. We're at 1.7 now. Yes. So we're not replacing the population. Do you know part of what's going on in Israel, you know, all of the unrest that they're having? Israel was designed to be a secular state. And so when it was founded, it was going to be you're going to have your orthodox Jews and they were not going to have to be in military service. You you have, you know, carve outs for Jewish people who took being Jewish seriously, but secular Judaism was to reign. 
Do you know why the Likud party won the last election? Do you know why? Because Orthodox Jews are reproducing and secular Jews are not. And for the last 30, 40 years, you've got the population shifts, the demographic shifts in Israel are causing a lot of this. Un- and, the, and the secular the seculars know it. They know their days are numbered because they're they're going to just be out reproduced. Before we hit this call, I, can I just challenge American parents with this, Christian parents? That's also actually been true of us for the last 30 or 40 years. Self-identified Christian families have far outbred the secularists. Right. But then how did we end up with such a secular, secular country? We did not disciple our kids. That's we right. lost two generations of kids that we outbred the secularists, because but they won our kids. We were convinced that we didn't have to take them to. We didn't want yes. to force them to go to church. Yes. We didn't want to. Don't want to force our values on them, and so now they don't have our values. And you see where that's taken us. Gene, go ahead. I guess Lincoln put it this way: uh, "He who rocks the cradle will determine the future of the country." Yeah. Anyway. Um, I called to bring, uh, to bring out a specific point that you uh, spoke about, and that was that if uh, this country goes, is going in, in this pattern of decline, which it is, that we might as well invite China to come over and, and rule the nation. You are familiar with Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, I, I think. Oh, yeah. And he is, right? Yes, I yes. am. Okay, and he has commented that uh, we need to have a one-world order uh, um, modeled after the style of China's regulation of its population. Yeah. That's a pretty sobering thought for those of you who are going to enter into the tribulation. Yeah. Uh, Gene, thanks. I appreciate the call. Look, um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not worried about Klaus Schwab. Uh, and, and with all due respect to Gene, and I don't mean that as a disrespectful comment, Gene is exactly right. Klaus Schwab is is a bad guy. Uh, his view of the world is pretty scary. But Klaus Schwab doesn't should not become a threat unless your country is at 38% when it comes to patriotism, unless your country is at 30-whatever-it-was when it comes to religion. Um, you know, people who think religion is important. That's when the thinking of Klaus Schwab becomes a threat to us because there's nobody who's who's going to push back if everybody is embracing these kind of ideas. Marriage rates are way down. In 1990, 67% of American adults between 25 and 54 were married. That was down to 51% in 2021. In 2020, there were 56 births in the U.S. for every 1,000 women ages 15 to 44. In 1990, that was 70.9. So, our population is barely growing, and any growth that we are having is coming from immigration. Yeah. Among those under 30, just 23% say patriotism is very important to them. 31% say religion is very important, and 23% say having children is important. There's an entire generation, not only a lost generation, but a generation that will not reproduce. So just to bear in mind... I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I have to be the bearer of the truth.